pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again and praise you for your word, and we thank you that it is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword, and I pray that tonight, Lord, it would minister to every heart that's here. Father, we thank you that we too have been delivered from the, the bondage of sin and death, just as you delivered the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt. Lord, that you've delivered us, those who've come to you and asked you to be our Lord and to be our Savior. And Lord, I just pray tonight that you would teach us by the power of your Spirit, that we'd be receptive to hear from you. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. What's well, a blessing? I, for me, it's been 10 days since I taught the Bible. It seems like 10 years. It's been so long. But uh, it was a blessing this last weekend to have the couples retreat. And last week I was at a pastor's conference. But it's really good to be back in the Word tonight. And tonight I titled the message, The Manifestation of God's Glory. You know, so often people are pursuing or desiring to see the glory of Almighty God made manifest. And tonight we're going to see how that happens. And we're going to see it in the people of Israel. As they've been, beginning of Exodus, they were in bondage. They were in bondage under Pharaoh. Anybody who's seen the movie The Ten Commandments, you know what I'm talking about, right? And they were under this heavy yoke of bondage. They were enslaved to their masters. And it was a heavy and a burdensome life. And as we come to the end of this chapter, we're going to see that God has done great and awesome things during the book of Exodus. So tonight we're going to see the culmination of the final chapters. In chapter 25 through 31, God gave instructions to Moses for the people. He gave them the, the Ten Commandments. Then He gave them instructions on how to build the tabernacle that we've been looking at now for several weeks. He told them the materials that would be needed. He detailed the instruction for the construction of the tabernacle itself and the furnishings. And then in chapter 32 through 40, or ch chapter 32, excuse me, Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days. And if you guys remember that, in the Bible, 40 is the number of what? Who remembers? Testing. And remember that God had given this instruction and the people had already crossed over the Red Sea. They'd seen God do great and marvelous things. He'd been leading them by a pillar of fire and a cloud. And he, they'd wandered, walked in behind him. They'd seen God do great things that were backed up when there was no way. God made a way. He parted the Red Sea. They get to the other side and Moses goes up on the mountain to talk with God. And he's gone for 40 days and that's just way too long for them to wait. They can't hang anymore, right? They've been in bondage for hundreds of years in Egypt. But 40 days is just not enough. And they grow impatient. And we know what happens is they go to Aaron and they say, he's never coming back. We're all done. What are we going to do? You know, we need something to follow. Moses isn't here anymore. So make us a God. Now it's interesting, the chapter before, that God had given instruction to Moses to go down and call artisans to Bezalel and Aholiab to make, to craft these furnishings that would go in the tabernacle. And when, they come, when he comes down, what does he see? He sees Aaron has made a golden calf. And they are having this raging party. It's a rager down at the bottom of Mount Sinai. They come down to the bottom. Everybody's drunk. It's out of control. It's just a disaster. And you know, thanks a lot. You go up on the mountain for 40 days to hang out with God. And your assistant pastor is making a golden calf down at the bottom of the hill, right? And so they comes down and, it, and Aaron, you know, cops out and says, Oh yeah, it just popped out of the suit. We just, you know, it was there and all of a sudden it just popped out. Oh, stop it. So he lies on top of blowing it completely. And so then we see that, that Moses goes back up on the mountain after God had said, you know, Moses, I'll just start over with you. These guys are a mess. I'll just start over with you. And you've got three million murmuring and, and complaining people in your, in your church. Let me, just, let me just wipe them out and I'll start over with you. And Moses cried out for his people. And he goes back up on the mountain this time. And God gives him more instruction for the tabernacle. And he comes back down and he gives the instruction to the people. And so we've seen that the first time we saw them going through the tabernacle, it was God giving the instruction to Moses. Then we saw Moses giving the instruction to the people, and tonight we're actually going to see the tabernacle being built. And I'm going to give you the significance of the tabernacle for our lives today. So all the work's been done as far as the materials have been given, the furnishings have been built, the tapestries have been woven, the priestly garments have been tailored, all through, the again, the obedient response of these people to God. Remember when he came down, the first thing he told them was, they'd given all their gold to make the golden calf, and it came to nothing. And if we give our stuff to the world, it will come to nothing. But now he comes down and he tells them that God had commanded them and, and desired that they would go back and bring to him the things that would be needed to make the tabernacle. Now remember that he didn't manipulate the people, but they went back and they sought the Lord. And those whose hearts had been stirred by the Holy Spirit brought and gave to the Lord. And remember that they gave so much that they had to tell him to stop. 
And it wasn't manipulation by men, but it was God stirring their heart to come and give to the Lord. So tonight, we're going to look at the very end of this chapter. We're going to see, or this book, and see how the uh, manifestation of God's glory is going to come through the completion of the tabernacle. The first 16 verses, we're going to see instructions for the physical arrangement of the sanctuary. We'll see it being consecrated unto the Lord. Then we'll see uh, the instructions being carried out, and finally, the manifestation of God's glory. So let's pick up in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 40, 40, and we'll see God again speaking to Moses. And, And go back to verse 43, and it says, And Moses blessed them. The people brought all the furnishings. The people brought everything that was needed. It's all piled up. They're all ready to build the tabernacle. Moses blesses them, and now God is going to speak to Moses and give him the instructions on how the tabernacle's to be built. Look at verse 1. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses. Now, this is very important, you guys. All instruction for the church, all instruction for your life, all instruction for, for what job to take, the person you're supposed to marry, everything that you do in life, every bit of instruction you ever get should come from God. Amen? The Lord spoke to Moses. It, it wasn't that Moses came down and said, okay, guys, let's have a, uh, everybody over here who thinks we ought to do it this way. Let's have a big vote. Let's make some committees and get together and discern and decide what we ought to do. Let's get counsel from the other kingdoms nearby and ask them how they do things. Instead, they went directly to God. And you know what? Why would we want the counsel of men when we can go to the creator of the universe? He desires to minister to us. He loves us so very much. And so we see here that the Lord spoke to Moses. He was seeking his face in prayer. God ministered to his heart. Verse 2. On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. The first day of the first month. It's been about one year since they left Egypt. They left Egypt on the 14th day of the first month. So they're two weeks shy of having been out of Egypt for an entire year. The exodus happened again on the 14th day in the first month. And since that time, they had arrived at Sinai about three months after the exodus, which means they've spent about eight and a half months camped below Mount Sinai. During that time, there's been twice that Moses has gone up on the mountain and spoke to God for, for 40 days. So 80 days of that time, Moses was up on the mountain. That means that they've they've spent about six and a half months making the furnishings, bringing and giving unto the Lord. Six and a half months in preparation for the tabernacle to be built and God's glory to be made manifest. You know, it's interesting that 40 days was too much time for them and they lost it. But now six and a half months, they're being faithful and being obedient. God has worked upon their hearts. So during this time, again, all the materials, the furnishings, the laborers were ready. They're ready to begin building the tabernacle. Now it's interesting to me, where does the Bible say the tabernacle is today? Where is it? The gymnasium at the VHM. Now where's the tabernacle? It's you. It's me. Because why were they building the tabernacle? The tabernacle was being built to be the place where the glory of God would dwell. And where does the glory of God dwell today in the person of the Holy Spirit? In you and in me. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so they're building this tabernacle tabernacle to prepare a place for God to dwell. And that's awesome to me that we too should be doing the same thing in our own lives. We should be opening up our hearts and preparing our lives as a place for God to dwell, for Him to rule and to reign, and we'll look more at that as we move on. So he says there, you, so the first thing they did was they set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. The first thing they built was the tent. And I'm not going to go into all the detail because I've done it week after week after week, but we know that the tabernacle was built very specifically. We've got a, Manny brought his picture of it back there. We've also got some handouts in the back if you didn't get one that just show how the tabernacle was built. And we're going to go through it piece by piece here in a minute, but that tent was not something you threw up in five minutes. You know, it would take many, many men, many, many hours to put that thing up. And just remember that everything in it pointed to Jesus Christ. Real quickly, the layers, remember the bottom layer of tapestry that went on the tabernacle itself, that went over the top of the Holy of Holies? That bottom layer was made up of four colors. It was blue, purple, red, and white. Remember that blue speaks of the heavenlies, purple speaks of royalty, red speaks of sacrifice or shed blood, and white speaks of holiness. We also know that woven into that beautiful tapestry were angels. 
and so are cherubim. So when you look at that tapestry, it was a very clear picture of Jesus Christ because he is from heaven. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That red, his shed blood would be shed upon the cross for us, and the white was a picture of his holiness or his righteousness. But then above that, they put black goat's hair. Remember that that's a representation or picture of what? Who remembers? Sin. You know, you take this beautiful thing, and over the top of this beautiful tapestry, you put black goat's hair. Now, no, no interior designer would do that, right? But here's the reality. It was showing that the, the perfection of Almighty God is covered and blocked from mankind because of the sin of mankind. And it could only be seen when you entered into that holy place and looked from the, from the bottom up. You could see that beautiful tapestry. But from the outside, all you saw was the things that covered it. Then above that was a, were badger skins dyed red, or ram skins, excuse me, dyed red, and that's a picture of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Go back to Mount Moriah, and, you know, Abraham and Isaac, and he was sacrificing Isaac, and as he's about to sacrifice him, we know that the Lord provided for him a sacrifice, and it was a ram in the thicket, a picture of the shed blood of Christ. And above that were badger skins, which were very plain or ugly looking. Again, a picture of Christ. The Bible says that outwardly, he was, he was nothing that people would be drawn to him because of his outward appearance. And so the tabernacle itself is a very clear picture of Christ, and that was the first thing they constructed was the tabernacle itself. Then, verse 3, the first item they put in the tabernacle was, you shall put the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. Now the ark of the testimony was the place of sacrifice on the day of atonement. It too was a picture of Christ, because remember, if anybody's ever seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Okay? They had a, an ark that they put in there, but that's what the ark was. The ark was the place that housed the Ten Commandments. They put manna in there, and they put Aaron's rod in there. Manna was a picture of their, God's provision while they wandered in the wilderness, and we know who the bread of life is. It's Jesus Christ. They put a piece of Aaron's rod. Aaron was the great high priest. And who is the great high priest? It's Jesus Christ. And so that rod pointed to Christ. And also the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that Jesus is the Word. He's the fulfillment of the law. And so that ark was put in there first. It was the first thing that was put in that holy of holies. So as you walked into the tabernacle, what you would see, the first thing you'd go through there is, is an outer court, and then inside of that was the holy place, but in the very deepest heart of it was the ark of the covenant. Now I find it interesting that it was behind the veil in the holy of holies. In the heart of the tabernacle was the ark of the covenant. It's where the cherubim were, and this is where, when we see at the end of the chapter, this is where the kabod, or the glory of God, would dwell. So in the very heart of the tabernacle is where the glory of God would dwell. It's interesting to me that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit dwelling where? In us. Within what? Within our hearts. Amen? Isn't it interesting that in the heart of the tabernacle would dwell the glory of God, and in the heart of our tabernacle is where the glory of God should dwell. Amen? A picture, again, of what Jesus Christ would later do, allowing through His death on the cross the glory of God to dwell within us. Now it says that it was partitioned off by a veil. So in this very center small room was just the Ark of the Covenant. There's no other furniture in there. And there's a veil that separated the, the Ark of the Covenant from the holy place. Now this veil that was there, the Bible says in Hebrews that the veil is His what? His flesh. And we know that again, it had those same four colors in it, a very clear picture of Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil? It was torn in two from top to bottom. A picture of what happened when Jesus Christ was torn, when his body was broken for you, the veil was torn, which means that you and I can enter into that most holy place anywhere, anytime. But when the veil was put up in this case, no one could enter into that most holy place. Only the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. No other time could anybody go in to where the ark was held. It says there in verse 4, You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are set in order of it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Okay, so you got this smallest room, the Holy of Holies. Right next to it is the most holy, it's called the holy place. Okay? In the holy place was the place of ministry, where the holy of holies was the place where God dwelt, the glory of God, the place of the ultimate sacrifice, the place where you know, simple man is restored back to holy God in the remembrance, the atonement. Outside of that was the holy place. 
And in that holy place is where ministry took place. And there were three, if you guys remember, three pieces of furniture that were to be there. And this is God giving instruction to Moses. They build all the furniture. He's telling them where everything's going to go. The first one is the table of showbread. The table of showbread God put there, and there they would put bread that would feed the priests. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life. It talks there about him having the bread of presence. The Bible says in the Word, we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. I believe here that the bread is a picture of the Word. It's a picture of God's presence in our life through His Word. And so we see here the Word. Then behind it, on the other side, was the golden lampstand. Now the lampstand, they would light it with oil. Now what's interesting to me is that oil would burn. Oil in the Bible is a picture of what? Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, what do we do? We are called to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. I believe the golden lampstand points to the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, but it also points to what you and I are supposed to be. We too are to be lights to the world. The Bible says, don't hide your light under a bushel, right? Put it on a, on a, on a, sit it on a hill that everyone will see. And here's the thing, I believe that's a picture of evangelism. So as you go into that holy place, you've got a picture of the word, you've got a picture of evangelism, and then as you draw near to that veil, what's there is the altar of incense. Now, incense in the Bible is a picture of what? Remember, it's prayer. And so in this place, this holy place, this place of ministry, you've got the Word, you've got evangelism, and you've got prayer. And it's amazing how when you share your faith with others and you spend time feeding on the Word of God, and you're a person who intercedes on behalf of others and you draw near to God through prayer, how you will come to the place where you will see His glory. Amen? You'll see God do great and awesome things in your life, but... As you're going through the tabernacle, again, thousands of years ago, these people in the Old Testament, as they put it together, didn't understand that every bit of it pointed to Christ. And that altar of incense that's nearest to that holy place, the Bible says that, where is Jesus right now? Where is He? Seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us daily. So the bread of life, that's Jesus Christ. The light of the world, Jesus Christ. The altar of incense, you know, that, that intercedes on behalf of, a picture of Jesus Christ. The Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. A picture again of the sacrificial work of Christ upon the cross. So we move on. Verse 7. And you shall set the laver... Excuse me, verse 6. And you shall, then you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Now, once you got outside the smaller tent that was inside the, ta- the tabernacle itself, that had the holy place and the holy of holies, when you walked outside of that, there was a huge courtyard. And then there was a, a wall that went around the outside of that. Now inside this huge courtyard, you would walk in, and the first thing that you would see is the bronze altar. Now bronze, again, we've been going through this for 15 weeks, but bronze is a picture of what in the Bible? Who remembers? It's judgment. Remember the bronze fetters or the, the brass pole that was held up with the serpent on it? So when you see it, you know it's judgment. Now it's interesting that as soon as you walked in, before you could enter any further, there had to be sacrifice made. And there were sacrifices that would be burnt continually on this altar. Again, they would tie the sacrifice down and they would burn. They would would burn it and it would be a sweet aroma in the presence of God. Now it's interesting that it was five cubits by five cubits. It was pretty small. Seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet. And later when they got to the to the temple, they made it way bigger than that. It was huge. But it was really small considering they were sacrificing on it all day long. And I heard a pastor down at the pastor's conference say something that I found pretty interesting, that it's five cubits by five cubits, seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet, just about the right size if a human being were to be laid out with his hands spread out on that sacrificial place. Again, something that pointed to who? It points to Jesus Christ. Because who's the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? It's Jesus Christ. And what had to be sacrificed there? A perfect Lamb. So you walk into the tabernacle and the first thing that you see right before your eyes is this altar of burnt offering, a picture of the cross. But then verse 7, you will set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Now, this laver was a big basin. It was made out of the mirrors that the women donated. Remember that? And when you would look through the water in the laver, you would see a reflection of yourself. And the priest would go and make the sacrifice, and he would be covered in blood. 
But then he would go to that laver and he'd look in and see himself covered in blood. His hands would be covered in blood. He'd have blood all over him and he would wash himself and cleanse himself in this water. And again, a picture of what the cross does. It's the shedding of blood for the cleansing of sin. Amen? And so the blood was then shed and then they would go cleanse themselves in this bronze laver. It's interesting that the Bible also refers to the water. can be a picture of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does in us. It also says in Ephesians 5, to sanctify your homes by the washing of the water, by the Word of God. And so we see as they're going through the tabernacle, it's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Who is the one who is the sacrifice? Who is the one who cleanses us of all sin? It's Jesus every time. And so he's telling them, this is the way you're to arrange all these furnishings, all these things that you've done, preparing a place for the glory of God to be made manifest. And so Moses, in obedience to God, is doing exactly as the Lord had told him to do. Before they can enter into the presence of God, they had to be cleansed. And the same is true of you and I. We must first come to the cross and a place of sacrifice for our sins, and only then can we be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Verse 8. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. Now it's interesting that the court all the way around was white linen. And if you go back and look at that afterward, it's white linen going all the way around this huge court, about the size of this place, just approximately, all the way around with the smaller court on the inside. And it's interesting that this, this righteousness, there was only one way you could enter into that court. There was only one gate. And again, it was made of the same material as the gate that entered into the holy place and the same material as the gate that entered into the holy of holies. Again, a picture of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The only way you could enter in to even make sacrifice was through that screen or through that gate. Again, made of the same material. Now, it's interesting that with the, with the veil or with the gate or with the screen that they hung them on pillars. They hung them on four pillars with hooks. And guess what? What did they do to our Savior? He was hung on a cross with four points, just like the four pillars. A clear picture of Jesus Christ, that He's the only way. And so we see here that only through Jesus Christ could they enter into that place of sacrifice. Verse 9. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. You shall hallow it and all its utensils that shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it. Now the word consecrate, how many of you have heard that word before? Let me tell you what it means, real simple. It means set apart to be used for God are set apart for holy use. So when something is consecrated, it's been set apart specifically to be used only for, solely for, specifically for God's glory. Now it's interesting to me that they didn't consecrate the furnishings and then go put them where they belonged. They put them where they belonged and then they consecrated them to the Lord. And I believe that's a picture of what needs to happen in our lives then we need to respond to God's calling upon our lives, and then we need to be consecrated unto Him. We need to say, Lord, you know what, Lord? I live for You. My life is wrapped up in You. It's all about You. My favorite verse in the Bible is Philippians 1.21, where it says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that doesn't mean that Christ is first in my life. It means He's first, He's tenth, He's one hundredth, He's one thousandth, He's one millionth, and He's every number in between. It means Christ is my life. And to die, it's only going to get better. And that's what a consecrated life is. It's saying, Lord, I'm set apart to be used for You and Your glory alone. Now here's the good news, you guys. When you consecrate and set your, your life apart to Jesus Christ, He's going to use it in an awesome and a mighty way. But I'll tell you what, there's no greater joy in the world than walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the center of God's will. You know what? I, there's nothing in the world I would rather do than what I'm doing right now. There's nothing I would rather do than to be ministering to you guys. And you know what? What's a blessing is when you love God, He gives you good and perfect gifts. I have a wonderful wife and a beautiful family. I'm just so blessed I can hardly stand it. I mean, all this in heaven too. Amen? And we think that we have to go and get you know, the money from the world, or we have to get this position, or we have to find this relationship to somehow have peace. I want to tell you something. only way you're going to have peace is to know the Prince of Peace. Amen? And when you have an intimate relationship with Him, it's going to be nothing but an awesome adventure just to walk with God and see Him do great things. You know what? Is your life consecrated this morning? 
Have you set your, part, your life apart and say, Lord, I give my all to you. I give my children to you. I give my home to you. I give my hands to you. I give everything I have to you, Lord. It's all yours. Use it for your glory. These things were consecrated. Now, it's interesting to me that when they consecrated it, they anointed it with oil. A picture, again, of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's when we say, Lord, take my all, that that's when the Holy Spirit comes upon us in a mighty and a powerful way. It's then that God can use us. He's not looking for ability, but availability. Amen? He's just looking for people to come and say, Lord, I give it to you. Here's my life. I love the, the illustration of a man who, when they were passing the offering plate, some, something we don't even do here, but when they were pla- passing the offering plate, he said he wanted to put himself in. He didn't want to give his money. He wanted to give himself. Lord, I don't want to just give you my wallet. Lord, I want to give you my life. I want to give you everything. It's all yours. And I'll tell you what, there's no greater joy in the world than living a life consecrated to Him. You might say, God isn't using me. Have you consecrated your life to Him? You give your life to God, I promise you, He will use you in a mighty and a powerful way. Going deeper with Him. It's that song we sang, I want to know you more. How many of you want to know Him more? Raise your hand. Amen. That's it. Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know you deeper. I want to know you better, Lord. I have such a hunger for the things of God. Verse 12. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall put holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. Notice the order. Before he was consecrated and anointed, he had to be cleansed. You know, too often we look at the world and we want to we anoint those who haven't been cleansed. Man, you know, God could just do radical things if so-and-so would get saved. That guy's got such an incredible gift. That if he could just get saved, then God could use him. I know of churches that hire musicians who don't even know God to lead worship because they're supposedly gifted to play a guitar. Weak, okay? That's like, our, hey, you're a really good speaker. Why don't you come be our pastor? The first question ought to be, dude, where are you at with Jesus Christ? Let me hear your testimony. How's your walk with Almighty God? You know, Moses was a stutterer, but he'd been hanging out with the Lord. You give me that guy over an eloquent Pharaoh all day long, Amen. And you know what? We, we need to look for people who have a burden and a heart and a passion for God, not anoint those and try to use those because of their physical abilities. You know what? I, I, Jimi Hendrix can't lead me into worship. Amen? I don't care how good he is with a guitar. I'm not worshiping with that guy because he's dead in his trespasses and sins, and a dead guy can't take me into the presence of Almighty God. Amen? And you know what? The world cannot open the Bible and teach you the Word. I don't care how great an orator they are because they must be anointed by the Holy Spirit. They must be consecrated and set apart for ministry. That's when God does great things. You know, as a pastor, you know what I look for? I don't look for ability. I look for people who just flat out love Jesus. People that just can't get enough of the Lord. Can't spend enough time in His Word. Love to come to prayer meeting. Love to come to Friday morning Bible study. Just can't wait. There's nothing more important to them. Blow off the Super Bowl to go to church. There it is. There you go. You're starting to get it. Amen? And I love football like the rest of them, but I'll tell you what, I love Jesus more. And these guys were consecrated. And he said, but you must wash them first before you anoint them so that they might minister to me. Not until they're cleansed can they minister to God. You know, there's a lot of people in Santa Cruz County hugging trees thinking they're ministering to God somehow. Guess what? Not happening. Amen? You know what? You can hug all the trees you want and save all the frogs you want. You know, you can do all that stuff. And you know what? The Bible says that we are to be good stewards of the planet, okay? But this Mother Earth is not my God. Amen? And Mother Nature, blow that off. It's God the Father. Amen? That's who we serve. That's who we honor. And people are trying to get to know God through their own consciousness or through their own path or their own way. It's not until we're cleansed can we minister to God. Because sinful man cannot be in the presence of holy God. Impossible. God can't have one sin in his presence. He's got earth part two. Amen? So we must be cleansed of our sin before we can come into his presence. So if you're, no matter how hard we try, I don't care if we crawl on glass to Mecca, I don't care if we get on our knees and climb up, whatever we try to do to reach God, it's not going to work. There must be cleansing of our sin that we might minister to him. And I love that it says there in verse 13, you should put holy garments on Aaron. What happens when you've been cleansed? You are then clothed in righteousness, the Bible says. Amen? When you've been cleansed, you're clothed in righteousness. Not your righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm Holy Dave. Holy Dale, Holy Eli. Why? Not because of anything we've done. If you look at our lives, we're sinful Dave, sinful Dale, sinful Eli. Amen? But because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says we've been clothed in righteousness. And we've been made holy. 
because of the work that he did for us on the cross. Amen? And the same is true for each of us. Jesus is our great high priest. We've been clothed in his righteousness. And because of that, we can minister to the Lord. We need to minister to the Lord before we minister, try to minister for the Lord. You can't take people to a place you've never been yourself. You can't take your friend or your neighbor or your co-worker into the presence of God if you've never been there yourself. Amen? But if you spend time and you're hanging out with the Lord, you're going to be contagious. You're going to impact the world that's around you. Verse 14. You shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father. They may minister to me as priest. For the anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Tunics were white, representing righteousness, pointing again to their calling, their anointing, their consecration, set apart for holy use. Here's the good news. It says there it's an eternal, eternal calling. You know what? God's calling is irrevocable. When God calls us to something, He didn't call us for a week. He doesn't call us for a month. Well, you mean, Pastor Dave, if I sign up for children's ministry, I have to stay there until I die. No, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, but if God's got a calling upon your life, then He's going to use you for the rest of your life. You know what? I, let me just tell you right now, I am never going to retire. I don't get it. When, unless I'm just, you know, over in the corner somewhere. I am not retiring, okay? You know why? What am I going to do? Go home and wait for the... You know, if God's got a calling upon your life, you minister till He takes you home, till He's through with you. Amen? I mean, it's just... It's, till He comes back. And so we don't need to retire. We don't need the, 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 I don't need an earthly 401k plan. I got the greatest retirement plan ever. I'm going to heaven, right? And God's preparing a mansion for me up there. And I can't wait to get there. And that's what it's all about. But he's setting us apart and his calling is irrevocable. It's a calling for a lifetime. He says, anoint these guys for ministry. Verse 16. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. Here's a great example. Moses, God's man, walked in obedience, did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. One of my favorite statements is, when we're obedient, God is glorified, and we get blessed. When we obey God, He gets glorified, and we get blessed. The Bible also tells us in 1 Samuel 15, 22, that to obey is better than sacrifice. The highest form of worship is obedience. I consider and Sing lies all day long. I surrender all, not really, but you know what I mean? We're really singing, I surrender some, I surrender a little bit, right? But the reality is, not the songs that we sing, or even how much time we spend on our knees praying, but you know what, if we, the highest form of worship is obeying God. Because that's the ultimate act of faith. It's saying, Lord, I believe what you say, so I'm going to obey you. Highest form of worship is obedience. And that's exactly what Moses did. It says he obeyed him in all by in court to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Moses took what he received from the Lord and delivered it to the people. And you know what? That's the sign of a good pastor or a good father or a good husband or a good coworker. Is you take what the Lord has given to you and you deliver it to people. You don't take the wisdom of other men. You don't conjure stuff up yourself. But you go to the Lord, you take what He's given you, and you minister it to others. And that's exactly what Moses did. Now here we see the instructions being carried out. So this is all God telling Moses, this is what you're to do. And then it says, Moses did all according to what he had been commanded. Verse 17. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. Now I love this. Moses heeded God's word. He responded in obedience to God's perfect plan in God's perfect timing. God told them on the first day of the month, so when did they do it? On the first day of the month. Do you know that God's timing is always perfect? How many of you have ever struggled with that before? Raise your hand. I've been praying for X number of years. What in the world is going on? Lord, did you forget about me? Have you ever felt like that before? But here's the good news. God is never early. He's never late. He's always right on time because He's God. And His timing is perfect. And he gave instruction to Moses on the first day of the first month. Now, it's interesting to me, what happened right before they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt? Who remembers what happened? What was the last plague? Passover, remember? Blood on the top, both sides of the mantle at the foot. Remember that? And after that, 
It said that those who put the blood of that firstborn spotless lamb, a picture of Christ, in the shape of a cross, that the angel of death would pass over and then they they would be delivered from the angel of death, right? Now, that was the thing that delivered them out of bondage. Passover is a picture of the cross. Isn't it interesting that here we are right about the same time that they're now building the tabernacle? I don't think there's any doubt or any question why that is. Because they're going to go through the tabernacle and see that sacrificial system again. And right at the time of Passover, they're going to be doing that very same thing. So God's timing is always perfect. And look what it says about the tabernacle. That the tabernacle was what? What does it say in your Bible? Two words there. What does it say? Raised up. Does it say raised up? If you look up the word in the original language, the word there is raised or lifted. You know what's interesting to me? is it says that the Son of Man must be what? Lifted up. So they raised up the tabernacle. The tabernacle with all those, those beautiful tapestries and not so beautiful tapestries that all point to Jesus Christ. And they were raised up just as the Son of Man would be lifted up. Yet another picture of Jesus. Verse 18. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacles and put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now I'm not going to go into what all the boards represent. We talked about it being fellowship, tying the boards together. And we talked about the things that held it together. But we see him being obedient to God's command, doing exactly what the Lord had told him, exactly in the order that God had commanded. Now I love this part. of One thing I love about this though is they're building this tabernacle. Where are they right now? Where are they? They're in the wilderness. They're building this tabernacle where the glory of God is going to dwell, where they're going to experience the presence of Almighty God. I love the fact that they didn't wait until they got to Canaan to build the tabernacle. And you know why I love that? I love the fact that God is with us in the wilderness. Amen? That the glory of God is there when we're going through the difficulties of life and the struggles of life. It's not just when we get to heaven that we have intimacy with God, but you can have intimacy with God right now. Amen? He can be, Jesus should be your best friend. And He can be right here and right now. It's an awesome thing. And the tabernacle was constructed out in the wilderness. And we too can have that intimacy with Him even in the midst of difficulty. Verse 20. He took the testimony, that's the ark, and put it, the testimony, and put it into the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. So he put the Ten Commandments in the ark, he put the poles in the ark, they put the mercy seat on top of it that had the cherubim, and they carried it in and put it in the tabernacle. So the very first thing that was put into the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because that is a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That without that sacrifice, without Him being glorified, we could not, know, we could not have eternal life. Now it's interesting that they carried it with poles. You guys remember why? Why did they carry it with poles? They get smoked if they touched it, right? Touch not the glory. There were, remember later they put it on a cart and they're wheeling it along on a cart and the cart starts to tip and they reach out and one of the priests touches it and what happens to the priest? He drops over dead. Why? Because we're not to touch the glory of God. And there's too many people out there today talking about some special thing they've got and how, you know, no, stop, no. You know, you want to just kind of do that when they say that. Okay. Right? The lightning strikes don't want to hit me. But they were to carry it with the poles to not touch the glory of God. But on top of the law was the mercy seat. And again, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but remember that the mercy covered the law. Because if we look directly into the law, we're sinful and we're found wanting. But praise God that the mercy seat is on top of the law. And on that day of atonement, they would come and take that blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat in representation of the fact that Jesus paid the price for us. The price that you and I could not pay. Verse 21. And they brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. The ark could only be accessed through the veil. The only way you could come into that place where God's glory would dwell is through the veil. The only way that you and I can come into the presence of God is through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. One way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. Verse 22. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil, and he also set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. You know, seven times you're going to see the words, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses was obedient. We're obedient 
God gets glorified, God is glorified, and we get blessed. Walk in obedience to Him is the highest form of worship. Verse 24. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 26. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil, and he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the table of showbread, the bread of life, the presence of God. The golden lampstand, he's the light of the world. The oil that lit it is the picture of the Holy Spirit. The altar of incense, a place of prayer and intercession. Notice that every piece placed in the holy place was used at all times. It says there that he put the bread in, and what did he do? He put bread on it immediately. He put the lampstand in, and immediately he put oil in it and lit the oil. He put the altar of incense, and immediately he lit incense as prayers unto the Lord. So everything that was put in that most holy place, that place of ministry, was being used immediately. You know, the Bible tells of of the parable of the talent. Talents are not to be buried, they're to be used. Amen? When God has called us, He's called us to use us for His glory. Every element in in that holy place was being used. And every element or every person in this room ought to be used for His kingdom. Most of you know we've been here about two and a half years. We started with a handful of people. And my prayer was, Lord, bring the servants first. And you guys showed up, so you must be them. Amen? And so as you come, God's got a calling on your life. And whatever He's called you to do, it will be a joy to you. It will be a get-to and not a have-to. It will be a total blessing. And God's called you to use you for His glory. So So as He calls us, He will use us to minister to others through the prayer, through the word, through evangelism and others. Verse 28. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle. Once again, hung. The screen, the same material as the veil, Jesus' only path into ministry. Now this is the screen, not into the Holy of Holies, or the screen into the the outer court, but the screen into that place of ministry. And the only way we can do ministry is to come by Jesus Christ. You know what? We can go out and do all kinds of things for mankind. But if I go and feed somebody who's hungry, but I leave him in his sin, I really haven't done him much of a favor. I, you know, again, Jesus fed people f- physically. He ministered to their physical needs. But ultimately, you know, if someone's got cancer, and I can either cure them of cancer or give them a sandwich, which one do you think they want? Right? Amen? Which one do you want? Do you want the sandwich or the cure? I'm thinking the cure, right? Now, sometimes you give them the sandwich so they know that, you know, you can share with them about the cure. But the reality is the greatest thing we can do to anybody is introduce them to Jesus Christ. And more times than not, our actions speak louder than our words. And that's why we should have a supernatural love for people. You know what? Be praying that. When you guys pray in the morning, pray that God will give you the love for people that He has for people. You'll be amazed how differently you treat people when you look at them through the eyes of our Savior. Verse 29. And he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered up a burnt offering and a grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 30. He set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. The bronze altar is a picture of sacrifice. The laver is a picture or a place of cleansing, a very clear picture of the cross. Okay? The cross is a place of sacrifice and a place of cleansing. There must be cleansing before ministry. There must be cleansing before we come into God's presence. You can't come into God's presence unless you've been cleansed of your sin. And the cleansing of sin doesn't come by you working hard enough, by you doing enough good things. The cleansing of sin came when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, and he, said, he says to you and I that He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. All He simply says is, if you believe in your heart, in Romans 10, 9, and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. You can't be good enough to save yourself. If you could, Jesus would not have had to come and die on the cross. Amen? You can't do enough religious rituals. You can't even read your Bible enough. You can't even pray enough. You can't come to church enough. There must come a point where it becomes that intimate, personal relationship with Him. And He raised up the court, verse 33, all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court. So Moses finished the work. 
He hung the screen again, a picture of Jesus' flesh, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He finished the work. You know what? When he finishes the work, now he's going to see the glory of God. And we're obedient to do what God has called us to do. Not that we somehow work to earn God's favor, but when we're obedient, we get to see the glory of God. When you sacrificially say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, and then you go and do it, I promise you, you will see the glory of God. You'll see, see Him do great and wondrous things. So let's take a look in these last four verses at the manifestation of God's glory. Look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This was a bunch of dirt. And then they obeyed God, and people all came and gave. And then those who were called, anointed for practical ministry, showed up and set up the chairs, right? Or showed up and, and chiseled out the furnishings and, you know, stitched the, the, the fine tapestries. And all the gifts were being used by all the people. And as they continued to be faithful what God called them to do, then they came and they showed up and they obeyed the commands of God and they set up the tabernacle in the way that God had commanded them. And what happened when they were all done? They saw God's glory being made manifest. You know what? We want to see God's glory in Santa Cruz. May each one of us give as the Lord puts it on our heart to give. May each one of us, whatever He's called you to do, may we be faithful in that calling. May we be people who are on our knees praying for people that they might come to know Christ. May we be people that, like that bread of presence, feed on the Word of God. May we be like that golden lampstand that shines brightly in Santa Cruz County for the love of God. May people see that there's something different and they want to know what we have. You want to see the glory of God? Walk in obedience to His will. Use the gifts that He's given you. God used 12 men to turn the known world upside down, and they didn't have any radio programs. They didn't have a, a car to drive in. They didn't even have a megaphone to yell through. They didn't have, you know, the print, printed Bible like we've got. They had huge scrolls. I mean, they didn't have any of the things that we have, and God used 12 men to turn the known world upside down. And you know what? There's a lot more than 12 in this room, and God can do great and wondrous things if we will simply be consecrated unto Him. Say, Lord, I want to be used for Your glory. Here's my life, Lord. Take it and use it as You will. Verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When God made earth, Genesis, He created it to be possessed by men. And then he put men on earth. The tabernacle was created to be possessed by God. And what happened? When they completed the tabernacle and they opened it up, then God took possession of it. You and I were created to be possessed by the Spirit of the living God. Amen? That's why he created you, to have that relationship with him. Augustine said that everybody's got a God-shaped vacuum. You can try to fill it up with money. You can try to fill it up with, with drugs and alcohol or power or position or, or relationships or whatever it might be. And you'll always, your flesh will never be satisfied. Because just as the tabernacle was created that God would possess it, and just as the, the earth was created that man might possess it, so too were you and I created that God might dwell within us. And the reason that if you're here tonight, you don't know God and you feel empty, is because you were created to have a relationship with Him. Now, for the rest of you that are here and you know God and you're struggling right now, I want to encourage you, consecrate your life unto the Lord. Don't just know Him in a far and a distant way, but say, Lord, you know what? I, I want to know you more. I want to know you deeper. I want to know you better. Lord, take my life. I give it to you. And you know what? I promise you He will use it in an awesome and a powerful way. Restoration came through the obedient construction of the tabernacle. Remember, that the, when Moses came down the mountain, they were worshiping a golden calf. They went from worshiping a golden calf to having the presence of Almighty God there. What was the difference? They repented. How do we know they repented? Because they came and gave what they had to the Lord. Because they came and said, Lord, use my life. Lord, here, take what I have. It all belongs to you. Lord, I'll come and I'll build. What do you want me to do? You have, you've given me a gift, Lord. I'll use it for your glory. And they go from a place of worshiping an idol that came to nothing to being used mightily by God. If you're here, here, here's the good news. You can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. Amen? No matter what you've done, God is a loving, a gracious, and a merciful God who cares for you guys so very much. 
He's Abba Father. He wants you to crawl into His lap. He wants to put His arm around you and love you. Look at verse last three verses. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and the fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. What an awesome thing that God's glory not only filled the tent, but they only moved when God moved. When the cloud moved, they just went under it. Some of you were down at South Bay with me. John Corson talked about that. He said, you know, why did you move to Southern California? He said, oh, because it was cool. And he said, you know, when you're under the cloud, when you're in God's perfect provision in the place that God has for you, it's cool. And what they would do is when the cloud would move, they'd just follow it. Oh, here's the cloud. Let's just go over here. And you know what? That's what we ought to do. We ought to just watch where God is moving and go, get, go rest in Him. And that's what they did. If the cloud didn't move, they stayed still. And when God moved, they moved with Him. If the worship team will come on up. Where was He taking them? Where was He leading them? He was leading them into the land of promise. Now we know they're going to fall into rebellion and they're not going to get to go. That's the sad part. Not even Moses. He's going to smote the rock, as we're going to see. But the, here's the good news. The good news is that God is leading us into a land of promise. He's leading and guiding and directing our lives. We will simply be consecrated unto Him and say, Lord, use me for Your kingdom and for Your glory. I don't have time to sum up Exodus, but here's the good news. The manifestation of God's glory comes when we come to Him with a broken and contrite heart. When we realize our sin and our need for cleansing, like at the bronze altar in Laver. When we come through that screen that's a representation of Christ and we feed on His Word and we become lights to a lost and dying world. When we enter into that intimate fellowship through prayer like the altar of incense, then we will be, we will be indwelt with the glory of God just like in that most holy place. Almighty God will indwell. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, you shall receive power on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and the Holy Spirit will come upon us. So Exodus, it started in bondage and it ends with them under and following the glory of God. And you know what? That's a picture of what can happen in every life on, on the planet Earth. We start off in sin and in bondage. But you know what? We can be under the glory of God. We can follow in that cloud. We can be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the book of Exodus, Lord, and the examples for our lives. And I just pray, Father God, that, Lord, we would live lives consecrated unto You, set apart for Your use, and Lord, I know that it's not easy that the world distracts us so easily, Father. And Lord, I know we can't do it by our own might or our own will. But Father, I just pray, Lord, that, that we would just fall in love with you. And we would seek to stay under the coolness of your cloud and your presence, following hard after you. And Lord, I lift up Santa Cruz County to you, Father. We pray for revival here. We pray, Lord, you do a mighty and a powerful work. And that Santa Cruz would mean Holy Cross once again. And Lord, for each life that's here, Lord, any who might be struggling or going through difficulty, I pray, Father, that, Lord, they would just know your presence, Lord, by just seeking your face. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. You're such a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.